My name is Andrew Walmsley, and you're listening to 153 of Photography Insights. This is the show that interviews people from the photography world. My friend Stephen Rindle had talked about a famous fashion photographer during a previous podcast. And there'll be links in the show notes to this. After going through some of this person's work, I was actually really enthralled by it and just had to get in contact with them. Now, this was not an easy guest to pull off. She is a very busy lady, so clue there. And it's took some months, but I'm very pleased to say we have Lindsay Adler. Now, Lindsay is an amazing photographer who is at the top of her game in the fashion industry. An example, she's got 388,000 people following her just on Instagram. Her work is on magazine covers, editorials and adverts across places like Marie Claire, Elle magazine, etc. She teaches through her links with Adorama, Canon and places like Creative Life too. She's got five books out there and recently started her own learning platform too. And I truly believe you'll become hooked on her work once you check it out. I think what I really liked about in Lindsay is not just she's such a hard-working person, the countless hours she puts in, but she does care about her team around her. And she does talk to us about this, especially during times like this pandemic. She's very honest and doesn't mind sharing tips with us all. So in this one, we're going to discuss mood boards and stories, researching artists, wedding photography, purpose and colour, holding attention, wet plate, technology changes, the best modifiers, importance of lighting and lasers. Now please do listen out for her answers to my random questions too. And of course there will be links to Lindsay's website and her Instagram feed for you all. So you'll see um, some recent work by Lindsay on her Instagram um, that hasn't maybe made it to her website yet. So you can see everything um, new and things she's working on which is really cool. Because she's always learning um, and that's something else you'll pick up from this interview. But in the meantime, I'd like to thank the friends of the show as always, Chroma Camera, Film Dev and Static Age. Now, I just wanted to do a quick shout out this week. So I just wanted to say thank you to Paul Otley for your kind words recently on social media. He's a great guy, a friend who started his photography journey in the last couple of years. And I helped teach him a little bit about lighting. And he sent me a couple of images of something he learned from using some of these techniques and devices. And that's always nice to hear, um, because we're all in this together. And I know some of you last week saw the article I wrote on the um, World War II hospital at Nocton. And I've had some lovely feedback from the lady who runs the tours. And I have something to offer a few of you. Um, so Mary is, the, is that lady, and she can actually arrange some small group tours, which are ideal photographers and include a total of seven hours as their visit. 
So that does give you plenty of time to shoot, especially us film photographers. It's in a small group of four. Um, so if anyone is interested, please do get in contact with me um, and we'll see if we can arrange something. And for anyone out of the area, uh, we are talking about Lincolnshire and it's just sort of east of Lincoln, maybe southeast by um, maybe sort of 10 miles. So it's not that far. Um, there is a cost to it and I'll tell you more about that. Um, if you are interested, obviously there is still the standard tour you can go on and that covers you up to like four hours. So, you know, try that. Um, it's a very reasonable cost that one too. So yeah, let's uh, move you on to the show and play that music and away our fantastic guest Lindsay. And welcome to the show, Lindsay. Thanks for having me. How are you? I'm fine. Um, thanks a lot for coming on. It's um, it's been a revelation looking at your work. <laughs> That's sweet. It's well, it it's really nice. So I don't have um, a big background in fashion work and fashion photography. Um, so my friend Stephen Rendell recommended you, and as soon as I was looking at the work, I was like. I can really see why he likes the work. It's not like just following and liking a photographer because it's okay. It feels to me like your work's, you know, up there. It's, you know, cutting edge. Thank you. <laughs> um, I mean, I think when I think of the photographers I follow, it doesn't even have to be a type of photography that I'm interested in or that I shoot but it's going to be somebody I think yeah. has a new, unique perspective because I, I'm just thinking social media wise, you know, I want to curate and put yeah. things in front of me that inspires me or fuels me or gets me thinking a different way. And so like, that's yeah. how I choose who I want to engage with online and who I want to follow. And the same thing, like I'll like a photo, not because I think it's something I would do, but it's like, Oh yeah, I want to see more of this. And I'm like telling the algorithm, feed me more. I want to mm. see this. <laughs> yeah. I think I'm exactly the same as you, and that's why my um, list of guests has been so diverse. Mm -hmm. Because I love that it's like, um, oh, that's interesting. How do you do that? And then I can see that affect me. So I'm assuming it's more or less like the same thing for you. If you come across something, you might think, oh, I might use that some part. Totally. And it can be any type of photography too. And that's what I, I think is fan Like, mm. I also follow illustrators on, on Instagram and I follow mm. hairstylists and makeup artists because any one tiny thing can later completely feed an idea for a shoot. You know, speaking of, um, you know, at the end of this upcoming month, I'm going to be shooting a couple editorials for magazines. And what I need mm -hmm. to do is I need to put together my inspiration boards, you know, also known as also known as mood boards. And I put together mm -hmm. the inspiration kind of as a visual roadmap for the shoot. And then those get pitched to the magazines and then they can pick one of the stories or say they don't want any of the stories or say they want multiple stories. Um, and it, the images, you know, a lot of times they are from social media. Sometimes they're from magazines. Sometimes they're from, from books. It's whatever paints the clearest wow. picture of what the end shoot is going to be. And so it, I mean, it could be any number of pieces that helps me get there and explain what I'm going for. Ah, I see. 
Mm. So you know when you're doing your mood boards, then are you able to draw or do you <laughs> copy and paste photos? What, what's your no? That's a like? really good question. Um, it's it's funny. So I've worked with um, certain producers before, or creative directors, uh, more accurately. So creative right. director, which doesn't happen often, um, but when I work with a creative director, it's basically someone steering the direction of the shoot. And so they're they're often putting together the creative team. So they're picking the people that would be in the hair and makeup team and they're helping to decide, you know, helping in conjunction with the photographer and the magazine, like what model it's going to be. And I've worked with creative directors right. before that can draw and that will kind of mock up roughly what they're thinking for the cover, which is great because they're thinking of mm -hmm. the copy and the layout and the you know, aspect ratio and that kind of thing. Um, and then sometimes when there's multiple people, they'll be sketching out, you know, how they think they might be stacked or interacting in the frame. And I love it. Mm. And I have no ability to do that whatsoever um, <laughs> at all. <laughs> so usually most of the time mine is just like, I'll cut and paste, you know, people's heads or I'm just cutting and pasting and showing like general yeah. composition or, or just whatever I can. Um, don't get me wrong. I feel like it's maybe a skill set I should have focused on. I feel like I used to be able to draw when I was in like fourth grade, and then I kind of let it go. So it was, it was a long time ago. Oh, okay. I should. I, <laughs> my my significant other um, he's, uh, teaches photography, and he always makes his students do drawing exercises because it's it's all about like visual language in general, um, and yeah. you know one form of visual expression feeds another, and I always feel guilty because I know he makes mm -hmm. the students do it, and I'm like. I can't do it. <laughs> it doesn't set you homework then. Exactly. <laughs> no, that's interesting because I always wondered if it was just um, maybe amateurs couldn't get any further because they couldn't visualize it on paper. But knowing that industry professionals like yourself are the same, that's, that's nice to well, know. Well, and on bigger productions, like I'm talking really big, you can also um, yeah. work with equivalent of, of well, you work with illustrators or storyboard artists. Like if it requires that level, um, right. you can do yeah. that. But most of the time, my approach is if it's with an ad agency, so I'm talking about commercial jobs um, or for a client, if they want something that specific, then they and their ad team will be drawing that up and will be like showing me the type of compositions that they're looking for. If not, right. what they will do is they'll show me general copy, like what kind of the layout of the graphic design. And then within that, we just problem solve on the day. And so in, in Capture One, for example, there's actually the ability to take in a layout and have the images come up with that layout over top of it. And then you can make tweaks in it in real time. And so then we could just adapt. Wow. Um, and so... I don't know. I usually prepare as much as possible so I can be spontaneous in the moment. So it's like put as much good stuff okay. in front of me as possible. And then I can, I can, you know, see yeah. what out like, Oh, actually this is where the light and that piece of jewelry are coming together most beautifully. I, if they yeah. were, if I get restricted too much, it's, it's fine, but I seldom come up with something unexpected unless the creative director was amazing. Yeah. So, you can do it on the moment as long as you've got lots of things to yeah, work with. Exactly. So that's yeah, exactly. I mean, that's why sometimes it, sometimes it feels like cheating because if I have really good hair, makeup, wardrobe, model in front of me, like it's, yeah. sometimes it's like, well, I mean, I'm going to take a good picture either way. 
It's whether I can get a great one. Yeah. Like that's the difference. I'm going to take something that's <laughs> totally fine, but I want to do something amazing yeah. since I have amazing things. Yeah, because I suppose that's part of your character to push yourself as well. Because mm -hmm. like you say, it's like a wedding photographer. They can push out good results and they have to yes. each week because every picture yes. matters. And you're doing the same for ads and commercials. Totally. No, it's it's the exact same thing. And way back in the day, I, I shot wedding photography and not particularly well, to be honest. I was fine. <laughs> I wasn't profound. Um, but I was always mm -hmm. amazed at the people that, found the time or the creative energy to make something amazing at a wedding. Like I get the people right. that do the pre-wedding or the post-wedding sh shoots where they get something amazing. Yeah. Cause you have time and you plan and you pick a location, but the mm -hmm. people that make it happen on the day, I was always mind blown. Like how do you have enough uh, energy to divert over to the creative part of your brain rather than just constantly analyzing what's happening in front of you? Yeah. And to keep it going that long as well. Well, that was, some of the most exhausted I ever was in my life was when I worked as a wedding photographer, because especially if you had two weddings in a weekend, it just, yeah. I was constantly tired. <laughs> I never, so that's why when I, when someone tells me a wedding, they're a wedding photographer, I look at them and I'm like, are you okay? <laughs> yeah. Do you need new shoes? Oh man, do you need a nap? Or, and then when they tell me they're a wedding photographer mm. plus have children, then I'm always like, oh, how are you even standing? Yeah. I know what you mean, yeah. My, my friends did it and started me doing um, second shooting mm -hmm. with them. It got me good practice and how the industry worked. Uh, and I enjoyed that element because I could turn up and Yes, walk away. exactly. Exactly. Second shooting was nice, yeah. And you don't get to yeah. take all the credit, but you also don't have to take all the flack from people being difficult outside of it before or after. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So I did two weddings by myself and then just thought, Although I enjoy the weddings, everyone's happy. You know, how can you not be happy? I couldn't handle that stress. Well, there's usually one sassy week. person that's, there's usually, there was always one that was like a little bit annoying, mm -hmm. whoever it may be, like someone trying to overdirect, or maybe it was, I don't know. But I, I did like them. Like, yeah. it's, you also felt like your images were important. Although not to be negative, like <laughs> I, I didn't shoot weddings for that long, but then you look back and like 90% of them are divorced. So then my images felt less important. <laughs> oh, dear me, yeah. Maybe not 90%, but it just felt like it. You look, oh, I love this beautiful image. And, you know, it gets, it comes up in your feed and reminds you. And then you check and you go, oh, they're not married anymore. Okay. Guess I won't do a little reminder because you know, you'd send out the, the happy anniversary follow up. Oh, so yeah. I was like, oh, oh, never mind. <laughs> You could get a reputation. <laughs> totally. The divorce. <laughs> exactly. It's a bad luck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I haven't, oh I haven't shot God, wedding in over way over a decade, so, hmm. so I'm not out there spreading bad luck anymore. <laughs> well, now you've got the best element in that sense because you shoot in beautiful people, beautiful settings, <laughs> or you're doing something um, very creative and different. Totally. And it totally shows. I mean. You know, this this first thing I said to you um, in the letter was colour. I think it's what really attracted mm -hmm. me to your work. This, because I think there's a lot of obsession over too many colours sometimes. So sometimes the lack of colour is just amazing, and you seem to nail it. I think one of the reasons that I was so successful with colour was that I kept it simple. Um, 
And yeah. so, you know, very often, especially early on in my work, most of the color I would use was a single monochromatic use of color. So an image all about red or all about blue or, and it was just something that I could mm. layer and have impact for that color. And then eventually, you know, I expanded from that. And when I did, I, I did actually do a little research into color theory and color harmonies and, mm. and, you know, was like, well, if I'm using a visual language to communicate, I should learn to speak that language. And so I learned more mm -hmm. about, cause I never did, I never did painting. I never did illustration. So I didn't have any formal art background and I don't, I don't understand. So I went to, mm -hmm. I went to college and one of my degrees of study was photography and I don't think they ever brought out a color wheel once. And I don't really know how I went through an entire degree without, I don't, <laughs> I don't understand. So it was kind of after school that I went and was like, I feel like this piece is missing. You know, I know how to use monochromatic color, but what else is there? And then try to build upon it. And, yeah. and I have color wheels. I have maybe four or five laying around my studio. So, to, you know, in the makeup area, if we need to pick it up and study it or in the photo area or in the post-processing area, and we can kind of just grab what we need as a reference. And I think it's super helpful to have it physically there. I think sometimes in the, the digital world, because obviously, we, you know, there's like color.adobe.com, which is a good interactive color wheel, good resource. Mm -hmm. um, but sometimes when it's digital, you don't, it's, since it's not present in front of you, you don't think of it as much. And so having the, the physical little wheels, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. And I think it makes you think about it. I think so, yeah. I think after understanding light, I think mm -hmm. color is so important because black and white photographers know this because all they have is tones sure. to work with, isn't it? So for me, it's been interesting doing colour and black and white. So although I shoot a lot of film, um, actually it means uh, colours meant so much more to me because I have to appreciate film needs a lot of light. So that's taught me a lot about light. But obviously the difference in texture and tones between colour and black and white has taught me loads. Sure. I mean, I if I shoot black and white, I pretty much... I mostly just shoot super high contrast, bold and graphic where it's just about tones. Yep. And then yep. more often than not, if I'm shooting color, tone might matter, but most of the time it's more about just really bold in your face, super saturated color that if you swip, switch it to a black and white, often the composition still works, but the tonalities aren't necessarily there because the color was leading the way. Um, and yep. so it's kind of just, it turns on two different parts of my brain of what I'm excited about. Like compositionally things are consistent, but yeah, when it's black and white, yeah. I'm just like, I want it to be like super, super bold and graphic. Yeah. Oh, you could t totally see that in the, the images. I mean, the ones I chose because there were so many to choose. I, I couldn't, I really struggled just putting a couple of examples to send over to you. Um, but I really loved the lipstick um side side mm -hmm. face um with a beautiful white look and it was simple you could see what you was trying to do um but you know you've toned it so it literally does look white black mm -hmm. and red yeah i mean but i think i think if you like all the examples that you showed me and you know for people that can't see it it's just i'm just describing basically most of the things that you showed me um that you were attracted to were often about one color. So it was, a, it was mm -hmm. the image was about blue, it was about red, it was about contrast, 
or you know skin tone. It was about tone on tone of like warmer analogous skin tones. Um, and so it's basically, it's not that it's complicated, it's just purposeful. And I think that's half the battle is mm. being purposeful about your use of color. Uh, how is that color meant to make you feel? How is the color directing your eye throughout the frame? And then the other part is I try to get the color as much as the way there, of the way there as I can in capture phase, but I absolutely yeah. heavily manipulate things in post-processing because why wouldn't you use another tool at your disposal? So of course, in the picture you're describing, like the skin really wasn't that white. I made it completely porcelain. And then maybe there was a little bit of, you know, maybe an orange tint to the lip. Well, that doesn't fit the concept. So I, you know, I throw that out and make sure it's mm. the right red. So I go through and every single piece of color in the frame, I make sure it's on purpose. And so when I critique people's photos and the colors are off, it's more like, wait, what? You have this other tool. Why wouldn't you use it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's something they've done for years in one form or other. Um, and I never say anything. So, you know, you do get a, like a lot of traditionalists, um, especially like in film photography, mm -hmm. you know, the reason for taking a film shot is because it's true mm -hmm. and you don't edit it. And it's like, well, do it if you like. <laughs> right. Do it as a concept or a purpose or whatever. You know, you shouldn't ever say that to anyone. Well, I think in the end, when I see a great photograph, I just see a great photograph. I don't really care how they got mm. there. It's, I mean, I do because I'm a nerd and I want to know, but that's not fundamentally <laughs> yeah, exactly. about what attracts you. Um, it's, it's about either the way it made you feel or what grabbed your attention or the texture or the whatever. So yeah, I, yeah, if somebody captured it in film, beautiful. And if they did a massive amount of posts and compositing, beautiful, it, you know, I think mm. either way, it's whatever caught my attention. And especially if we're looking at a billion photos every day, it's really hard to stand out. So mm. the ones that, if there's a one photo out of all the thousands I see every day, if there's one photo that sticks at the end of the day, it achieved a lot just in that. Yeah. And I suppose that's only ever getting totally. worse over the next few decades in there because um, you have a few seconds to impress someone. If that. if that, I mean, when I, when I'm scrolling, it gets maybe, and I think this is part of how I, uh, you know, for right or for wrong, part of how I adapted my style was that, especially for commercial photography, I realized that you really have just fractions of a second to get someone to hold on a little mm -hmm. bit longer. And then even if they hold on a little bit longer, it may only be a couple of seconds. And so I think how I adapted to the high contrast black and white or super saturated colors and bold compositions, I think part of that was in the day and age we live in. I need something to make sure I hold your attention for just that moment longer. <laughs> and nuance yeah. doesn't yeah. always win the day, unfortunately. No, it doesn't. No. Um, wouldn't we all love to be so different? Um, but how many billion photos out there <laughs> per day? You've, you've got no chance. And it's why I stopped uh, even using hashtags um, on Instagram. As a, as a, yeah, no, as a side note for that too, is I, I used to consider myself relative expert on, on Instagram, but there was a while yeah. where I f honestly felt that using hashtags was severely damaging my reach and performance. Like I, I analyzed okay. the numbers and it's just, it decreased it. I don't entirely understand why, wow. because I did, I did understand that there's certain hashtags that are 
uh, like there's certain ones that, that don't necessarily have reach or they have too many people already. So it, it defeated the purpose, like you're yeah. saying, but I actually thought it decreased my reach. Um, there was an image I posted the other day where I posted one really similar just before it. And the one without the hashtags performed, you know, three times as well. I, I don't, I'm clearly missing <laughs> something. That's strange. Yeah. Um, I think now people, you know, analytically, I, I find that more people are finding me from the explore page. So things that are similar to that are being recommended to people rather than any sort of hashtags. Right. I just, I, I just thought it would be useful for Instagram to know what to then recommend to other people. Um, you know, like, right. oh, I'm clearly saying this is about makeup. For people who are regularly interested in makeup recommend to them. But I think that is a way of the past. Yeah, to be fair, though, um, the web in that sense is always mm -hmm. changing. Um, although we talk about digital changing, nothing is the same as the web. I mean, in my industry, God, we know it. You know, every day in my job is completely different and I learn something sure. new. Uh, and some people scared by that. I like it. It's what keeps me um, going every day. Um, and it's also another reason why I love shooting film, because at the end of the day, I can chill sure. out. I don't have to rush anything. Um, and I can do uh, projects and take my time. Totally. No, I, I, I'm, I think if you stay enough up on whatever your industry is, you don't have to be at the, the cutting edge of everything, but the major changes then it won't ever feel overwhelming enough that you kind of shrug your shoulders and give up uh but this is why i don't try to understand every change that's happening i try to figure out what are the important ones and just make sure i'm aware of those i mean i i used to retouch my own images and teach mm -hmm. extensively about it and then simply due to my time um just how busy i've been you know the last your couple of years, um, I outsourced my retouching and then I felt like I fell behind because there were new things and new techniques and new wow. tools. And I was like, Oh my gosh. And I got overwhelmed. So I'm like, I need to, I need to catch up on that. So even just a couple of years can put you way behind. Yeah. Yeah. I know my friends are always going through things and saying, Oh, I've learned this new technique. And you're like, wow. Um, cause I'm useless at editing. Um, <laughs> so you should film. It's fine. It's just... <laughs> <laughs> well yeah but at the end of the day you still want to deliver something that's nice mm -hmm. so yes I do try my hardest to do it in camera as much as I can and obviously I'll choose the relevant film mm -hmm. um, on purpose um, sometimes I shoot um, daylight stuff so I'm a massive fan of architecture mm. uh, I will only shoot that when the sun is out I've learnt my lesson now um, if you want a nice flat toned image I've got hundreds of them. <laughs> well, I, um, I haven't shot film in, I don't know, probably like 15 years. Uh, it's like, oh, wow. Okay. I mean, I, I think maybe maybe in college a couple of roles, but I'm talking about like actually shooting. Uh, and for hmm. my significant other's birthday, I got us a class to do to learn some wet plate photography. We haven't done it yet. Um, but I'm going to learn some oh. some wet plate and, and see how that is 15, 15 plus years later after working with anything like that. I think it'll be really fun oh, and hard. God. I think so. Yeah. Be careful. You will fall in I'm love sure. with it. But it's also so different than anything mm -hmm. that I shoot. It's not even stylistically similar. But mm -hmm. I think part of the reason I, I personally was 
drawn to it. Well, A, it's the, it feels like the closest to when photography is magic. Because you, you can imagine when people were shooting that originally, how it really had to be the closest to real life magic they'd ever seen. Like, how can you capture what you're yeah. seeing in front of you and then hold it in your hands? Like, that's, it's incredible. So there's a magic part of it. But I also think for my own sake of it is I think most, and I'm not saying all, but most wet plate photography, people approach it in a relatively similar way. And I feel like I would do something mm. a little different. So I'm kind of like interested mm. to, to try a medium in a different way. Of course it has, I know it has tons of limitations. So also putting those limitations and challenges on myself, I think makes you think outside mm. of the box just because you're like, okay, now how do I work within all of these restrictions, the amount of light and the movement of the subject and like all of that kind of stuff. So That'll be a good challenge in the coming months. Oh, I would love to see what happens with that. Do you think you'll be posting new results? Yeah, but only if I eventually figure out and it's not bad. <laughs> like if they're bad, I'm not posting it. <laughs> it's just a blank piece of it's rubbish. Just, yeah, there I mean, I'm out. quite sure I'll have a, a, a lot of rubbish to start off with. It's also mm. more intimidating because no, that... it's expensive rubbish. <laughs> oh yes, it's the only reason why I haven't done it. It's expensive. So I've got, I've got large format. Um, I know one of the legends, um, who's quite happy to give me resources and things, um, but it's finding money to buy plates. It's, yes, it, it's not going to happen. I, I, I'm a dad with children. It's you know, it's an impossible thing. At the well, moment. it's. I mean, you know, how many frames do you need to feel like you're even just have a, a remote grasp of it. I feel like it's quite a few. Mm. <laughs> I feel like it's a lot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You're going to need a bit, a bit of practice. I mean, it probably took me 50 mm -hmm. rolls to be able to shoot. Film. Totally. So, um, you know, it's, so imagine in wet play, you can't do that because 50 would have already cost you an absolute fortune. Oh, crazy. Yes. I think we, I I think as, it depends obviously the size of the wet plate, but it's anywhere between a dollar and ten dollars per plate. Yeah, well, to be fair, color film costs that anyway for large format. Mm -hmm. Anyway, it's absolutely ridiculous, and it's why I won't shoot color large format. Mm, I I think I, I'm I like more extreme. Like I'm going to shoot with the um you know with wet plate, like I'm, I'm going to try to make it somewhat graphic, somewhat storytelling, somewhat moody. That's I don't good. know. We'll see. And I might be over talking it. Watch. <laughs> I'm going to take a picture. It's just terrible. It's just a, there's a blurry picture of my dog who's right here. He says, hi. <laughs> That's nice. Uh, it's, it's great. I always get to meet dogs, cats, birds, yeah, yeah, everything. He's, he's sleeping. <laughs> see, there's not even, this is his oh, head, but there's nothing happening. Oh, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think it's a great thing. I, I mean, I've so I've interviewed Wet Play, um, Tintype, cool. and actually my 150th show was a lady who shot 8 by 10 20 by 16 wow. Tintypes on the beach. So did she have to make her own camera to do the 16 by 20 Because I didn't even think they make those. No, they still do? Yeah. I mean, not still, but she found one? Yeah, she's had it a wow. long time. Um she wouldn't call herself a young photographer, yeah, shall sure. we say. Um, sure. But she's, she's been doing it a long time. Um, but again, she had a lesson recently. 
as well. So, you know, even um, in later years, it, it's no issue. We learn totally. Stuff. We, we were actually speaking of the, the large format thing. Again, I don't know hardly anything about this. So it's really interesting to be able to keep mm-hmm. looking things up. And we we're reading about some guy that used, and you might actually know the name, some guy that used a building, a cabin to create a camera mm-hmm. obscura and then use the wall, like basically yeah. the size of the wall of the cabin to capture the image. Magic, it's just amazing, magic, it? it's amazing. I know, and this is why I like the film and alternative world. For, for me, it's like um, digital is a great way of learning your skills, techniques, color, you get instant feedback. Mm-hmm. And then you can move into any other areas, you know, if you like it. Yeah. Because it's not, it's not. Well, and, but, you know, it's to give some love to technologies, because, of course, you as, as working in IT, you clearly also love technology, but you also like taking it back to the basics. Um, yeah. I just the ways that certain elements of this technology have allowed me to be better at my job is amazing. Um, just something as simple as a mirrorless camera is having face and eye tracking so that if I want to shoot at Mm 1.2, I can shoot at 1.2 and actually have anything in focus. Cause I used to see the wedding photographers (laughs) that would, you know, they'd have their, their 85 one, two, and they'd be shooting in these these beautiful cameras where the the depth of field just melts away. And I would be like, how are you confidently shooting that on a wedding day? Like I I can't nail, I couldn't Mm -hmm. nail anything. And now I have no problem. It's like just something as simple as that, uh, has yeah. changed the way that I've I shot. And so I, I was shooting um, something. I don't know if you know the, do you know Tim Walker, the photographer? Um, he is a fashion photographer yeah. that his work is very fairy tale. It's the best way to describe it, but like okay. fashion fairy tale, it's playful, it's whimsical. Uh, and I was shooting something the other day where I needed a really narrow depth of field. And so I'm, you know, at 51, four and no problem. I've, like I felt real confident doing it. And that's something mm-hmm. that I would have been wary of before. Oh, and I was shooting at 2,500 ISO. It was like dark where I was shooting and it, the image looks beautiful. It, it's great to not have to be freaked out by those things. Yeah. I'll be like, what? Yeah. <laughs> well, I was, I was surprised I did. And not that everyone would be happy with this, but I did a, a test shoot for myself uh, where I was shooting in the streets of New York where there was no light. So like down, down a side street and I shot at 20,000 ISO and I swear the picture was totally usable. I don't understand, you know, Hmm. granted, like obviously you lose a lot of detail, but I'm talking about if you want, it it was, it was moody. It was emotive. It looked Mm -hmm. grainy, but like in like almost a filmic way. Um, Mm -hmm. And I didn't like the, it didn't necessarily look that much worse than the image at 8,000 or like it was, it was amazing. It was so cool. So I was, I was with the R5. Um, So there's also just those things like getting nerdy with what is possible because the way that light looks, let's call it in the dark, but almost in the dark does look different. And so the shots look, it looks different than I would be able to capture without that piece of tech. So that's on my to-do list is to try some more in the dark shoots and see what I come up with. Hmm. That's nice though, because it's nice that you like using technology to help mm-hmm. you, because that that's what it was always totally. invented for, wasn't totally. it? Totally. Um, and and it's something I always say to people. People think just because I work in the industry that I would know, say like um, gaming, 
I don't do any gaming, so I know nothing about a gaming computer. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's other things like that, and I'm like, I use technology that works mm-hmm. for me. Totally. And that's it. So I can recommend, yeah, I use this. That helps you. That's fine. Um, you know, some people have their favorites. So you'll have people that only use, say, Apple products. And that's completely fine if it works for you. If your house is set for it, you you may as well do it. But if you're not, there's something well, It's funny because there's, especially when you're on YouTube, right? There, I would oh, say, yeah. let's say like 85% of people when I will post a YouTube video about some technique, like this is wonderful. Thank mm-hmm. you so much. I appreciate this. Thanks for the great free content. They understand <laughs> it's free. Thank you for anything. And then there's that extra like 15, 15, 20% that are just like crazy. How could you use it? This piece of gear in this way. <laughs> You're like, okay, you should just breathe. You should maybe worry about other things. I, I most of the time don't get upset. I most of the time honestly just pity those people. It's like a, that's it's just like all. Yeah. That's a shame that that's how you want to spend your time and energy. I feel bad for you. Yeah, I never understand that. It's like use your time to do something that you enjoy, unless of course you enjoy whinging. Oh my gosh! <laughs> I'm gonna say or yeah, no. Um, there are there are plenty of productive ways people can can spend their time um and that's not one of Mm -hmm. them but um i you know that that takes me to like a totally different conversation but similar like in the same vein um technology pieces of gear can challenge me to think in a new way and to create in a different way but also Mm -hmm. because i educate like part of part of my job um is teaching i teach for canon i teach Mm -hmm. for myself i teach for adorama i teach for a variety of different platforms, but because I teach a, it forces me to break down my process in a way where I understand it so much more deeply than if I were just doing it. Mm-hmm. And then that deeper understanding makes me better and faster at my job. But then another direction of that as well is because I teach and because I share, I put that information out there and then I feel like, well, I better go find something new. I better go test myself and challenge myself. And so I am constantly Mm. thinking of, well, what could I try new that I could share with people? Like I'll be the guinea pig, I'll mess up and then I'll pass on what I learned and what I experienced to other people. So I genuinely think if I were quote unquote, just a photographer 10 years ago to now, or the photographer and educator yeah. I am, I know that I'm better than I would be if I were only shooting. Yeah. I have no doubt about it. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting thought then. So what if you compared that to say just an educator then who, you know, wasn't actually shooting as a job? Um I think I think it's hard to say in that. Um mm. Mm. some sometimes educators just get kind of comfortable and they'll teach their same thing, but also so do shooters. Like some shooters just kind of stick with the thing that they find that Mm. works with them and then they, they don't really grow and don't evolve. So it Mm. is hard to say if I would have gotten, you know, too comfortable, but I also think I always have things to share because, because I am actually shooting for clients. I do have to be aware of trends I do have to be aware of what clients need. I also do have to be aware of what they expect at the highest levels. And so I'm mm-hmm. I'm able to take that information and compact it and pass it on. Um, but there's also educators that make great images without actually 
having to produce it for anyone. I mean, it's kind of like a fine artist, for example, a fine artist, they don't yeah. necessarily have clients, like they're, they're shaping their own vision yeah, and they not, can yeah. be just as creative. So I think for me mm. personally, I like to create with some sort of purpose. It doesn't mean it has to be for a client, mm. but if the purpose is just, Hey, I'm going to share this, that's enough for me. Um, mm. Like I don't, I don't, I don't often create for myself where I keep it tucked away and don't share it with people. I can't help it. Like that's not how I'm wired. Yeah. Like I, I can't wait to share it with people. <laughs> Whereas I know other photographers that'll create something just to enjoy it, which is nice, but my brain doesn't work like that. No, but that that's fine because that's who you are then, isn't it? And you've got to work with um, yourself in that sense, and and your strengths and weaknesses, isn't it? So. And you shouldn't try and be like anyone else, uh, you know, and even like you say, because you're a teacher, educator, people shouldn't just follow your school of thought either. Totally. You're giving them tools, aren't well, you? And I, and I try to encourage people of that and try to get them to, hmm. to understand any place, anything that I give you is your starting point. Um, and I, hmm. I don't definitely don't pick fights with with other educators, but there are definitely people who are like, this is the way to do it. Because I remember when I was learning, I learned from those people. And now it's just a giant eye roll from me because you see the diversity of images and photographers out there. And people saying this is the way is just so strongly misguided. Uh, misguided. And so a good example of this is I remember when I, so, you know, more than a decade ago. So I, I actually have had a business for 20 years, but I've been in New York for 12 or 13. Yeah. And I remember I had someone tell me that I had to choose. I either had to be a fashion photographer or uh, a portrait photographer or an educator, but definitely not two of those and definitely not three. I had to pick. Wow. And I just, none of it, like that reality didn't suit me, the reality that they told me I had to choose. Um, and yeah. I think it was so short-sighted of them because there's an entirely new category of job that fundamentally is a creator. Like I'm, I'm, I'm mm. a creator of all different sorts because I create images, I create portraits, I create fashion, I also create education, I create content for brands, I create, I create and so I'm, I mean, it's, yeah. it's, another word it's a modern word for artist right um but it's yeah. it's how it's being used um and so i think there i think now more than ever people can define what their life and what their art and what their work looks like there's so many opportunities out there and because we reach so many people you can have the tiniest little niche you can imagine and thrive in that yeah um which is one of the the great things of our images having such reach now across the world yeah, I, th I think it's changed everything. It's interesting to talk about teams because my, what my mate was saying was like, um, what advice would you give to people wanting to collaborate and build a team but who don't necessarily live in a big city? Yeah, uh, I have several pieces of advice. So the first piece of advice is that part of a team is that you play together and you grow together. So it doesn't mean that someone has to be in a, a big city to find people that are going to be talented and grow with you. So when I first built my very first team, I was in upstate New York. So a small town was between five and 10,000 people. Um, and I built my team from 
the hairstylist that worked at the hair salon around the corner. And the models that I yeah. photographed were high school seniors, um, you know, th that wanted, okay, yeah. uh, you know, so girls that were 16, 17, 18, 19, that wanted photo practice. Yeah. I wanted me to, you know, take photos of them. Uh, for the clothing, you know, sometimes it would be a vintage shop. Um, sometimes it would be buying something from, uh, as you would say, H&M. <laughs> um, mm. And uh, it's not about whether something is expensive, it's whether it looks expensive or you know, whether the concept comes together. There's this one artist that I follow online that builds, makes all of her props out of paper, you know, and they, they look incredible. Um, it's the way that, wow. you know, the pieces are shot. So I think part of your challenge will be to uncouple your thoughts that big city or expensive is required for good, because it's not. Um, yeah. and sometimes yeah. those challenges will make you better. And then similarly, I mean, I don't know, depending on who this person is or where a person is in their career, like maybe you need someone hmm. that is growing with you. And so you start at the same level of being new to things. Um, you don't usually, right. you know, immediately jump to somebody that has 20 years experience when you have five. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that's one piece of advice. The other piece of advice is let's say that you do go to the city or you know wherever you do think there are some better resources. Um, to work with some yeah. of these people, I always suggest that you put together some mood boards and inspiration before reaching out. Because if there's somebody you really wanna work with, maybe it's a model, uh, maybe it's a hairstylist, makeup yeah. artist, wardrobe stylist, whoever it is. Um, if you just say, hey, like your work, I wanna shoot with you. They get that message over and over again and it will be read, ignored, and on to the next one. But if you pitch and you say, hey, I like this particular element of your work, and I'm uh, going to be in your area these dates, and these are some different inspiration for shoots I'd like to do, you're giving them concrete things to get ex excited by because they'll take note mm. like, okay, this person actually knows my work. Uh, they know what excites me, and they're pitching ideas, and they're giving me dates. And I feel like you will get far better responses when you're concrete like that and you actually put the effort in. Um, anytime someone just says, you know, I like your work and I'd love to shoot with you, it's like a thank you. <laughs> it's more of a, an appreciative hmm. rather than something that's actionable. Yeah. Yeah, I can see what you mean there. That, that should be really useful, actually, yeah. So uh, he will be listening in, obviously. Um, so I'm sure he'll take that on board. I mean... I really love um, his work, you see. So I met him and his other half was modeling for us, and it was my first cool. model shoot. So it was really nice. I got to know him. He's an attractive-looking guy anyway, so he'd done a bit of modeling as well. And I was like, yeah, you can take pictures as well. I know. I hate those people, totally. <laughs> I feel the same way. Yeah. Get rid of them. They're only allowed one specialty. Exactly, mm -hmm. yeah. And... Um, he started showing me like his work and we become really good friends and he's got that ability with fashion. You can totally see it. Um, he organizes, he does mood boards. Uh, he's done a little bit of YouTube about it and he's got the confidence. So we would go to uh, pop into Lincoln and say, right, let's just shoot some people on the street. Mm -hmm. 
And he'd be like, just step into my office and he'd just stay, stand next to that wall to a random person. Uh, that, and that um, takes a, a different type of confidence because I, I mean, I mm. personally always felt uncomfortable with that. And I know I'm confident at my mm. skill set. It's not that. It's it's the ability to, to <laughs> approach random people and, and inst instantly get them to feel comfortable with you. I mean, that's 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 something that's hard to teach, honestly. Like that's something kind of innate to to people to be able to instantly disarm someone yeah, to yeah. say, "Hey, let me come take a picture of you," which is a very vulnerable thing. Hmm. Yeah, I do. Yeah. Um, so that's why I really like his work. Cool. Um, so I think he's just been trying to find the the people to work with, sort of thing, in essence. Because um, you know, now he's entered the world of education. Um, he's trying to teach this into people which is a really good thing as well and i think it's why i loved the fact that you're doing like creative live and adorama and things like that as well well i mean i always appreciate these these platforms you know as well like one of the reasons that i like to work mm. for adorama and canon is they're supporting education to help people get better faster um like i, I just yeah. i think that's like I, I know that they're brands and I know that obviously their goals are to sell things, but I, I really supporting education. I really bring someone in a brand up in esteem for me. Like it really makes me respect them and what their values are and where they choose to spend their money. I, I always really appreciate that. Plus, you know, I get to a lot of times, you know, there's, there are a lot of channels which are very gear heavy. So it'll be like, let's compare this mm -hmm. camera to this camera, which I think is is super valuable because people want to make sure they're spending their money well. Um, but mm -hmm. when they are encouraging education around creativity and technique, where it's not necessarily translating to sales, I still appreciate that because they're like, well, we want to inspire people to stay in love with their craft mm -hmm. rather than just consider, you know, which autofocus option is going to be better. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because <clears throat> at the end of the day, it's an image which has to come from a, some sort of creative side otherwise you're just copying mm -hmm. someone aren't you which is what's the point then yeah exactly yeah and I, I think this is the interesting side where the real skill sets in so like me and you can't draw <laughs> right we've got to work it in other ways so understanding your technologies are useful so even like the lighting so me and you was just briefly talking about the umbrella and I, you know, I think the umbrella is a fantastic thing. And every person starting off should just have an umbrella and learn to use well, it. Well, and they're they're super cheap. They're they're really mm -hmm. easy to set up. They're portable. If you break it, it's not the end of the world. You're not going to break the bank. Mm -hmm. um, and if you figure out how to make an umbrella look good, then you've I know you've already mm -hmm. learned something uh, because it's easy to make an umbrella yeah. look bad. And I think that's when you don't know what mm -hmm. you're doing and you, you know, don't know all the variables that go into play. But I mean, there's so many beautiful images that can be made with umbrellas. So that's, that's my recommendation. Like early on, I used to tell people to get a softbox, um, but also mm -hmm. setting up softboxes is annoying <laughs> and they take yeah. up much more space and they're more expensive. So yeah, I'm on the same page as you is I, I think an umbrella is a great place to start but then you can't give up on it if you're not getting good images. It's not the umbrella's fault, it's probably yours. And so you have to learn the technique <laughs> first besides, before blaming the modifier, which is what I did in the past. I was yeah. like, oh, umbrellas are terrible. I can't, I can't make good photos with these. And then I realized, oh no, I was just terrible. <laughs> 
but again like you say it's understanding the technology and you know light is part of that technology especially if you're using flash rather than daylight mm -hmm. or whatever yeah um, i um I worked kind of backward from people because I learned studio lighting, I think before I learned natural light. Um, and part of the okay. reason why is because early on I was taking portraits for, you know, so in, in the United States we have high school senior portraits. So when they graduate from high school or secondary school, you get a formal portrait. And so I was shooting these, hmm. but you know, there were certain times of, of year where when I, when I first started, you know, it's as, as with London, but also, you know, in, in the US, it's cold for a good portion of the year. And so for consistency mm -hmm. and making everything look the same, I kind of just set up two strobes in my parents' living room, uh, one umbrella, umbrella on either side of the subject, kind of super flat lit. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of, that's where I started mm -hmm. so that I would be able to have consistency and control regardless of if it was mm -hmm. snowing, bad weather, early sunset, you know, whatever it may be. Um, and it does not mean the images were good. So the problem was, is that I learned the basics <laughs> and I got an image that was okay. And then I got comfortable. And so I stayed with okay for a really long time mm -hmm. until I was like, okay, I, I realized that the work that I admired doesn't look like this. And so there's clearly something missing and I got to figure it out. So, you know, I probably stuck at okay for like eight years, <laughs> way too long. Yeah, my, I, I, yeah, I can make well, excuses all day, but yeah, I probably should have figured it out before then. But that's nice that you can see that. So that, you know, that obviously means you've moved on because you can see that. For work. sure. <laughs> no, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think um, I, like if I look at the trajectory, in the beginning, I was a sponge for technical knowledge. And so I, I learned so much yeah. about, you know, lenses and camera settings and depth of field and and like you know basics of, of modifiers and then i kind of felt like i could make a decent image and so i got comfortable and i kind of plateaued and then you know where where it all changed was once just kind of after college where i was i was still in, i think the problem was in college too is i got maybe a little bit too much positive affirmation uh in that you know i was better than my fellow students or most of them um, and so the teachers would tell me I did a good job, but in the scheme of things, once you graduate, you're not competing against just your fellow students, you're competing against every photographer. And so being better than your fellow students means nothing, especially if you're in a class like I was of like, you know, 20, 25. Um, so what, you're better than 25 mm -hmm. people. Um, and so <laughs> when I graduated, you know, I, I thought highly of my work and of myself when I shouldn't have. Um, I didn't really have perspective of, yeah, all of these photographers you admire, you're not following in their footsteps in any way. You know, you've just hmm. found a few things that work for you and you're doing that. So I had to have a, you know, the first year out of college, have a relatively rude awakening of what would it, what would it take to not be fine? Because my aspirations in life hmm. were not to be fine or okay as a photographer. It was to try to be a great photographer. Mm. And so what, what was missing in the equation, mm. that kind of stuff. <laughs> no, that's, that's interesting. I, I think it's nice that um, people want to do that, um, to get better, inspire themselves, be different from others. Because for me, it became a natural thing. Um, I found that all my friends were much better portrait photographers. And we'd go to same sessions, we'd have a little local hall, we'd get some, um, uh, models in 
uh, be random, anyone would turn up and then we'd just have to shoot mm -hmm. what we had. And I was always impressed with their work. And all the time, all I was learning was how to introduce light into something. Yeah, I think one of the, like, I mean, I know some people obviously learn lighting as a as a kid when they're younger, but I think most people learn light, you know, mm -hmm. as an adult. And when it clicks, it's it really does kind of just click, like when you start to understand it and it yeah. feels amazing. Because I remember when I was in, you know, primary and secondary school, like you're constantly learning and it's so you're just constantly mm -hmm. being fed that. And then, you know, granted, I learned little things as an adult, but you, you feel like part of that gets turned off. And mm -hmm. so when when you really get light, it's it just feels like you're opening up an entirely new part of your life and creativity. And so that's why I still mm -hmm. am attracted to lighting so much. I feel like no matter how much I know lighting, there's always going to be more I can learn. And so every time I figure out a new technique, it's that little light bulb again. And it just, it, I always feel like I'm moving forward and I don't feel like I'll ever reach the end, which I think is the momentum I need mm. to stay passionate. I think so, yeah. And, and that's why I like seeing different techniques. Um, there's a fashion photographer I know in the States. Uh, he does weddings as well. And he did a beautiful piece with like a ballet sort of model. And he caught the movement of her going across, like it was obviously a dark room, and he mm -hmm. just flashed, flashed, stroboscopic style, yeah, yeah. And it was just beautiful because she was three or four times in the shot, and I was like, God, I want to do this. Perfect. Um, yeah, and you add like, it to your to-do list. That's why, and then, then it gives you the next, yeah, exactly, yeah. And he shoots film as well, um, oh, cool. all the times. So he's so he he does you know more disciplined. One of the things I try to teach photographers early on is that the earliest thing that you learn is soft light, almost always, almost 100% of the time people teach yeah. you how to bounce light, how to use large, uh, large soft boxes, you know, how to soften the light because it's more flattering. But really what right. I think teaches you more is hard light. Because hard light, yes, that's yeah, because hard light is how you can make the little pockets of light or slices of light on things. And when it's hard light, there's nowhere to hide so you see exactly where the mm -hmm. shadows are going to be and exactly how it shows texture. So I feel like starting with hard light certainly is more difficult, but I feel like the understanding mm -hmm. you get of things like the inverse square law and where shadows go and uh, how you can flag light and feather light, like it's so much more pronounced when it's hard light that I feel like, mm -hmm. I, I know the traditional wisdom is to start with soft light, but in some ways it's like, man, I, I feel like you understand it better to go the opposite way. I totally did, and I've proved it because I've taught my friends um, hard light. My friend told me it in like a five-minute conversation. I said, I don't get it. I'm going to go away and think about it, and I, I tested the theory of it. Um, so that was just um, just in your setting, so everything's black, mm -hmm. isn't it, and, and, and doing it that way. And I said to my friends, oh, so all you want to do, take a picture so it's completely black, and then I said, just remember, all you're doing with your flash is painting light into the scene. And as soon as we've done that, took a couple of shots, like, oh, my God, Andy, this is fantastic. <laughs> and honestly, they were yeah. jumping. They were so excited. But it's, it's hard to control a big soft light source. And so a lot of times, especially yeah. in a small white space, like many people are shooting in, like a living room or a bedroom or whatever. And so I think mm. because it's hard to control, people just 
but it looks nice. It's hard to control, but it looks nice. And people just go, okay, this is good. And mm. then they miss that. Like you're saying, if it's, it's complete darkness and a hard slice of light, like then you're forced to pay attention mm. to exactly what you're doing versus a big softbox throwing light everywhere. looks all right. Then you don't really have to care. Yeah. Nice. Even we're all beautiful. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Hides everything on set. And, and, you know, like you say, it works in certain places. So it is a really good skill mm -hmm. to have. But I think hard light is a better skill for... I, I use hard light all the time. For pretty most of the pictures that people would say wow for was a hard light image. Most, most of it that people would say wow for. Because you need that much more control to pull it off. Do you like, um, do you use constant light LEDs then or are you, are you like your I would say 95% of the time I'm using strobes. Um, I don't really use speed okay. lights because um, a lot of times I'm using bigger modifiers and I'm lighting bigger scenes. Mm. So I need a little bit more output. Um, and, mm. but I use, I've been using some constant lights more um, because mm. the technology is now kind of caught up to where I think they're actually usable. Whereas maybe seven years yeah. ago, they weren't. Um, and so like I have <laughs> Nanlite Force of 500s that I like. I also have the Nanlite Pavo tubes, which are really great. So there's, there's a lot of good stuff mm. that like I, I just did an, mm. uh, a shoot for Numero Russia um, and I use the Pavo tubes and a laser and the images are mm. awesome. Like I am super proud of how they turned out. Um, and I wouldn't have been able to, to do that you know, this is, it was like a portable, um, like a party laser, like a, like a DJ laser, but it's, it's, that's new technology as well as the Pavo tube. So yeah, like new technology is what's inspired the shoot. That's really cool. Isn't it? So as long as you got sequins, you're going to bounce. You was playing around well. also with mirrors, but the whole time, you know, obviously it's actual lasers. So I'm, you know, have to make sure a, it doesn't hit anybody's eyes but also make sure yeah. that it doesn't hit a camera sensor because to my knowledge, it'll just fry your sensor. Yeah. So. Be, yeah. You've got to be well careful with lasers because I've, I've used them. Uh, well dangerous. Yeah, and I have. Mm. I, I stopped using them. <laughs> like I have no <laughs> desire to like uh, A, cost myself a lot of money or B, damage somebody. The model had actually said she did a runway show once uh, where there was lasers and she fried hmm. the um, camera on her phone. I was like, oh, my God. Jesus. So you've used um, a black panel on the floor to sort of um Yeah, then that one was like a plexi mirror also to reflect the light and give yeah. uh, give some depth to the lasers yeah. instead of just hitting somebody. So, yeah, that was a, that was a shoot mm. in the last month and a half, but it was using all different technology than I'm used to, uh, which is comes back to when, you know, tech can make your job easier, but it also can challenge you to see in a new way. Um, and that's why like, mm. you know, certain technologies, I don't really care. It makes no difference to me, but certain things that make me actually come up mm. with new ideas, like that's what I get excited by. Like, oh, I would have never have thought to do this a year ago because these things didn't yeah. really exist a year ago. Yeah, that's an interesting way of thinking because technology is changing i like the fact it's lighting rather than just cameras mm -hmm. as well or you know sd cars i mean who the hell wants to talk about that <laughs> no, totally i mean so many, <laughs> many people do but i'm so bored by it mm. yep yeah agreed no yeah the, the, the light is everything because it makes the image um 
you know, it looks like there's a tiny bit of smoke. Yeah, or... I have a haze machine running in the room. Um, and so I have like a, yeah, a assume... American DJ haze machine. And so difference between a fog machine and a haze machine is a fog machine will look like smoke, like a smoke machine. But a haze just puts particles yeah. in the air that only really show up when it's hit by light from behind. Um, and so that's kind yeah. of what gives it its its depth. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, you can see that. That's what the smoke's mm -hmm. there for in that sense. Yeah, that that's really nice. I like that. Um, I might have to say, tell my friends to think about something like that going forward. Obviously, yeah, exactly. Way. Well, that's one of the reasons this is one thing I haven't taught. Um, is because I mm. don't want someone to accidentally blind themselves and it'd be my fault. <laughs> like, okay, I'm gonna wait on that one. No, uh, I mean I. I've messed about with a laser. Um, I switched all the lights off in my kitchen and I got all the glasses in the house out. And oh, cool. And the laser about. That sounds awesome. Yeah. It is. Um, the more pattern glass you've got, so if it's not yeah. just a round glass, um, honestly, the, the effects and the, the lights, I was, I was like looking around the room going, oh my God, this yeah, is Yeah, no, it sounds awesome. Yeah, I told I mm. totally get that. That sounds great. Yeah. Yeah. I, I literally love playing with everything. <laughs> well, I think what we need to do uh, in this final time is to get you through a couple of my random questions. Lindsay. Okay, sounds good. I'm ready. Was it? One word is going to be banned from our lexicon. Would you choose hello or goodbye? <laughs> Never say it again. That's so funny. Um, I'd say hello because I actually think goodbye is an important term. Like I think goodbye has more control because sometimes you need to get rid of people from your life and they, they need to leave. Mm -hmm. And I feel like there's more control in, in goodbye than hello. So if you say goodbye to me, I'm going to be very worried. Bye. <laughs> I'll just leave off the good. It's just the bye. <laughs> Ah, uh, okay. All right. No. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Because there's different ways of saying hello. And sometimes you don't need to say hello. No. Agreed. Yeah. Okay. I like that. That's nice. Um, what did your parents tell you off for the most when you was young? Mine is actually uh, a very insightful into who I am, probably because I took things too seriously as a child. Um, so right. I would have severe anxiety over a variety of different things that, you know, life isn't that serious when you're 12, but I had like a panic attack at one point because I felt I hadn't accomplished enough. So I think it was more oh, of a, like, God. you're a kid, please just be a kid. Yeah. Yeah. That's a worry. God, that must have been a worry for Yeah. Parents. I turned out fine, but they're probably well, not certain of it for a while. Say, yeah. <laughs> I'm much more laid back now than I yes. was as a 12 year old. Like I'm a hundred times more laid back than 12 year old me. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. It's your last day on earth. What song do you play endlessly on repeat? Oh, Cause you're going to have to blast God. it. Okay. I have no good answers at this because I, I absolutely like, I get obsessed with them with songs that I'll play on repeat mm -hmm. until I'm sick of them. Yes. And I have to move on to the yeah, next one. That. So it's like, I feel like I've mm. killed every song that I ever loved. 
maybe that was so, insightful to uh, significant others of the past. Just overdid it until mm -hmm. the point of couldn't handle it anymore. Um, oh God. So it's the next song. Yeah, then, yeah, yeah, really, exactly. yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's exactly right. Totally. Because oh, <laughs> I'm the same. I, I'm always listening to stuff because I play the same ones like on YouTube and that. And I'm like, I really could do with something new. And all the stuff that it recommends, it's like, that's the same. You know, you know I, I, I like I, right now, mine is like this bizarre it's not even, it's not a new song. It's Joji dancing in the dark. It's not, it's like, it's several years old, but I'm like obsessed with it right now. And mm -hmm. then like, get back to me in a week and I, I won't be listening to it anymore. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Isn't it? I've, I've struggled because I've got stuck on Lincoln Park. <laughs> That's a good one though. And, I saw and Lincoln like, Park in college. We came to our New York State Fair and I went to see it was Lincoln Park and uh, My Chemical Romance. <laughs> wow. It was excellent. That's nice. I, w I was uh, working at the yeah. school paper. I was um, one like might have been the photo editor at the time. I honestly can't remember. And so I gave myself that assignment. My assignment was to go cover the the performers. But I just <laughs> you, you got to be Close, up front for yeah. the first I don't know two three songs, and then I had to sit there and listen to the rest of the concert. It was great. Wow, that sounds good fun. You've listened to history. Totally, I did. It was great. No, I like that. Um, okay. If the next James Bond mm -hmm. is a mm -hmm. lady, does that mean Mo Miss Moneypenny should be a man? It doesn't, no. doesn't need to be. No? So it's I think it still could be female, female. female. Yeah, because I think especially mm. nowadays we're talking about gender roles. I feel like you could kind of mm -hmm. take a fun twist with that. Yeah, I think mm -hmm. it would actually be more interesting. So I say female, female. Hmm. I think we need it, to be honest. I mean, I will say, yeah. though, it's going to be in really good hands of a really good director because pretty much any of the female remakes of most movies recently have just been, like, embarrassingly terrible. So let's, mm -hmm. let's, let's put it in good hands to make sure it's not just awful. <laughs> Yeah, I think it'd have to be a brand new script and book mm -hmm. in that sense. It, it, the reason you have to be really careful is because then if you go the direction of being too woke and too politically correct, that then it mm. seems force-fed. And then it doesn't mm. at all seem genuine or actually empowered. It seems like a money grab to appease people. Um, so I think that's why... It, mm. It has to be in such careful hands. And that doesn't necessarily mean a, a female director either because I've also seen it go wrong that way as well. So I have no yeah. answers on this. <laughs> Good luck to them. So you're, so you're not volunteering no, to direct? No, I, I, um, no. I've been directing a little bit recently for like music videos and stuff. Um, and it is okay. – it's overwhelming. It is not my, how I am, am built um, – it's it's intense. I mean, I think it's it it might have been different if, for example, I had assisted someone who had directed or been around it. But just trying to navigate it on your own without any any examples of of how it's done is just terrifying. It's hard. I, I directed uh, for uh, a music video for uh, the original Wonder Woman last week. Yeah. Oh wow! So fingers crossed. I'll show you when it comes out if it's good. 
Yeah, that'll be interesting. Yeah, I, I love stuff like that, so it's nice. Um, okay, so your last one. You have to either give a punch, a present, or a pint with each of the next three <laughs> people. So it's one, one thing for each. Okay, so you're three people. Audrey uh -huh. Hepburn, Grace uh -huh. Jones, and Serena Williams. Wait, why would I want to punch any of these people? It's the rule. It's the rule? It. Okay. Okay, well, mm. we're going to punch Hepburn because she's too perfect. Okay. Like... <laughs> She was. She's like, beautiful. You can't. You just. You can't be everything. Like talented, beautiful, mm. kind, timeless. Uh, nope. So she gets punched just for that. Um, okay, I agree. It was. Wait, it was a, a pint. And what was the other one? A present. Um, I think uh, Grace Jones gets a present. Um, because okay. I think. Grace Jones deserves a physical, like, thank you for uh, influencing me and the visuals that I'm attracted to, also for playing around with okay. gender bending um, and mm -hmm. having, uh, being a symbol of a, a, a strong female, but also a female that doesn't uh, adhere to what she's meant to be. So she gets the present as a thank you. And then Serena Williams gets a pint because she has to deal with so much all the time she needs a drink. She like she deserves it. So, <laughs> those were good and difficult ones. Yeah. I didn't want to punch anybody. <laughs> <laughs> well, some people have cheated and they've played on the word. Well, could I give him a punch as in a oh, drink? Oh, boo! Cheating. Like, yeah, they're really cheating. cheating. Yeah. Or it was a fist bump, and you're like, mm, that's okay. funny. <laughs> yeah, but you know, if they've come up with it, you like that's them cute. Off. It was a cute game. I appreciate it. <laughs> no, thank you for that. Um, so, do you want to tell all our lovely listeners where we can check you out online? Yeah, and definitely. So, if you want to see my work that I post regularly and where I'm constantly updating, you would visit Instagram, which is Lindsay Adler underscore photo. And then, if you want to see my portfolio, so example of my best work or the work that I use to promote myself, that's lindsayadlerphotography.com. And then lastly, if you want to learn from me and my tutorials, which I have many of, there's two great places. One, if you search for me on YouTube, you'll find me. Or if you go to learnwithlindsay.com. There we go. Nice and easy. Uh, and obviously, we'll put them in the show notes for everybody. Um, so my final question, Lindsay, um, I do this pay it forward scheme. Is there anyone um, you think uh, might be really interesting for me to check out, whether it's photography-wise or podcast-wise? Yeah, oh, I have so many. Um, so mm -hmm. one person, I don't believe that he – I don't believe he speaks English, um, but somebody to look for for their work is uh, Eugenio mm -hmm. Requenco. Um, and I will write it for you because it sounds more complicated. It's just that it's Spanish. Um <laughs> Yeah, but okay. it's it's not that bad. It looks like Eugenio Requenco. Um, okay. His work is just on another another level of technical skill set and creativity that I just think few people can touch. And then um, a female photographer that I personally think her work is just out of this world, creative and totally unique, and and just 
next level of quality and creativity is Elizaveta Porodina, which I'll also show. She's, I think she's Russian, but she speaks English. I know she does because I, I follow her on, on Instagram. So those are two that whose work I recommend you check out. Um, and then the last person I love, it's not new. Um, and I know that they're German, but I think also speak English, maybe for an interview would be Christian Schuler. So I'll write all three of these for you because, you know, they're all, none of those were easy names. No, that's appreciated. Right. Well, all I can say is um, thank you so much, Lindsay. Um, it's been lovely to hear about your craft and how serious you are. It's really interesting to hear that you still want to keep learning as well. Yeah, I, I think when you stop learning, you're going backwards. And please keep up the work. Um, it's really, really encouraging to see such lovely work. Thank you. It's been great talking with you. And uh, not goodbye, just bye. <laughs> <laughs>